I enjoy foraging and I enjoy using wild food. I think it's the best food in the world. I wouldn't be so passionate if I didn't think that wild food had a place in a world food system. I literally remember reading in one of my mom's herbal medicine books that you could eat some of these wild plants. And it was as if the top of my head exploded off and I was like, oh my gosh, how come, you know, nobody ever told me this. I've been walking around my whole life and there's stuff all around me and nobody ever told me this. We're locked out, basically. We're locked out of land. We're locked out of our own heritage. As, as beings in bodies. We're locked out of our own heritage as beings in bodies. We're very sophisticatedly evolved to relate and, and form cohesion, social cohesion. We're locked out of all three though. We're, we're out of the land, we're out of our bodies, we're out of each other, you know, and food's the key. underestimate how important wild foods are in much of the world um, as as a significant dietary amendment you could say you know for example uh, the greens of black nightshade Solanum nigrum and its relate relatives are one of the most commonly eaten leafy greens in the tropical world maybe the most commonly eaten leafy green and yet they are never grown intentionally they are allowed to grow when they come up on their own in a rural landscape and in an agricultural setting. So there's a wild food that's already contributing in a major way. There's this issue that some people have, and, and it can be an issue, where you say, oh, you know, you're just looking at these things as resources. You know, this exactly. is, you know, but, but no, when, when you look at things as a resource that, that is actually part of your way of life, then it isn't just like some sort of greedy, selfish thing, you know? You, yeah. You've woven it into the fabric of your life, so you you then you then have an emotional attachment to this species. I know. <laughs> you know, you you kind of love it like you do your family in a way. Yeah. So I think a massive shift in narrative as well, and that's what I liked about the the the, the Benjeli having this ritual that reminded them of this moment when they all became equals, because they didn't have to relive that every generation. They didn't have to like go out and find for themselves. Oh God, if we have a leader, it's all going to go. They basically maintained a story. And we know that stories are the humankind's most powerful tool. Stories are what enable vast ways of people to be able to act in, in unison, even if they've never met each other, even if they never do meet each other, because they all buy into the same story. There's plenty written about domestication of grain, that the, the domestication of grain is seen as like the point where civilization starts, but actually, <laughs> so like, you know, it's flipping that on its head and saying, well, actually, that was the beginning to be a bit of a decline of a certain kind of civilization, because there are such sophisticated hunter-gathering methods, which kind of allowed you to have as much as grain, but without having to work that hard. Grain crops were convenient to control and commodify in a way that allowed some people to dominate other people. It was political. That the, the food control of food sources was 
the the central aspect of of agrarian civilizations that were hierarchical and had this severely oppressed underclass of people. As soon when I because I was living in Spain for years and I was making this film and in it I was like reconnecting to um, pre-domesticated societies, pre-agricultural societies, yeah. and then I was also realizing the the benefit of community and wanting to live in community, and then I was like, well, I need to come back to the UK, connect with the place I'm from, be in community. And then I was thinking, well, then I'm going to learn how to do permaculture and buy them. And then I was like, what am I doing? No, I've just been making this film about the gallery. I need to wow. learn how to forage. That's yeah. what it's like. Give up yeah. that. I mean, like, yes, maybe I'm going to need to learn a bit of that. But what I really need to do is to see what nature's about, what 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 nature wants to do, and try and fit in with that rather than this whole mindset that I was. You know, the whole film was about it's like that mindset control yeah. and manipulation is at the heart of so many of the problems we're in today. The exceptionalist view of humans says that we are more important, and I definitely don't hold to that. That we're more important than everything else. But at the same time, I think we have the potential. Well, we don't just have the potential. We are more influential than everything else. There's this great. Uh, I think that I think I got this quote right. This guy E. O. Wilson is is like a, an, an an ecologist, and he says that uh, biodiversity was at its peak just before the industrial revolution in in the UK. So, in other words, human presence and everything we were doing was actually creating habitats. Yeah, we weren't doing it because we we're trying to have nature reserves. It's because of everything we were doing to get what we needed was was altering the environment and made it more productive and more biodiverse. So this idea that you know development could be to develop ways of getting our resources that cause this kind of interaction, reciprocity, two-way stuff, and this complex system between our culture and the and the culture of of ecology, that means that not only do we get plenty, but we're enhancing the systems of life by what we're doing. So 19, 1986, I was leading a foraging tour in Central Park, um, March 29th of 1986, and it turned out there were undercover agents on the tour, a man and a woman. They said they were married. They never held hands or kissed, so I figured they'd been married a long time. Uh, the man kept taking they pictures. They paid him with marked bills. They paid me with marked bills. The... Violet, you weren't even born then. The <laughs> man kept taking pictures and he told him to hold up the specimen, only he was the specimen. You've heard this story before. Yes. <laughs> a few thousand times. At the end of the tour, I took one leaf of a dandelion. They're, they're really good in March in this part of the world before they flower and become bitter. And ate that. The male ranger ducked behind the tree, took out a hidden walkie-talkie. There he is on 81st Street. Go get him. Every park ranger in New York City popped out from behind the trees. And uh, then they searched me. I don't know if they're looking for weeds or weed, but they hauled me off to the police station in handcuffs. They took fingerprints. They took mug shots. Uh, they searched my backpack. Fortunately, I'd eaten all the evidence. The charge was criminal mischief for removing vegetation from the park because I'd eaten the dandelion. And after that, they took me to court. I served wild man's five-borough salad on the steps of the Manhattan criminal courthouse. The press ate it up. 
Yeah, it went viral for the second time before going viral was even a thing. Then the parks uh, personnel were forced to turn over a new leaf. They negotiated with me. They dropped the charges and hired me to lead the same tours I was leading when I was arrested. Um, and I worked for them for the next four years until the administration changed. Humans use that kind of language. Like if they see something eating something that it's not supposed to eat, and putting supposed to in quotes, they think it's confused, you know? Like sometimes a fungus will fruit on something that it normally doesn't fruit on. Like the hemlock reishi mushroom occasionally will fruit on a birch tree. And people would say like, oh, it's confused, or that shouldn't happen. It's like, it knows what it's doing, you know? Like it's looking for food and it's perfectly adapted to do such a thing. But human beings, for some reason, we just don't know. I don't know why that is. I think we've just forgotten over a long period of time um, and we're seeing the full manifestation and the effects of it today. It's not just the knowledge or information, but it's the, I think it's the sense of nature, which is the quite important thing which I'm teaching to people. I think it's the holistic thing, which I think about that, where I can put my knowledge of uh, wild things. Yeah, I mean, I I think more and more that what we're doing is, you know, when we get out and harvest things and process them, and the fact is it becomes a, a, a rhythm and a routine rather than that's something that's going to happen again and again and again through the years. And so you get more and more in, intricately involved. I more and more think of it as a as a dance that we're participating in. That's a very different thing from a, from just acquiring a bunch of a bunch of facts. Yeah, if, if I said to someone, are you going to mistake that blackberry for anything else? I haven't asked that question. I think I need to ask that question with, with um, my next groups. I would, I would bet a tenor that 99% of people go, oh, no, I know what a blackberry looks like. Well, okay, but how do you know what a blackberry looks like? And then it's like, well, how did you know? Oh, well, my mother showed me or my grandmother showed me or my teacher showed me or, you know, another friend when I was a kid showed me. And it's like, OK, but why do you know it so well? What is it about knowing it from 50 yards away or 100 yards away what it is? And it's because you've been doing it for long enough that you it's now gone into habit, habit. you habitually know without any necessary any kind of rational or attentive thinking that it is blackberry well that's what happens with all the plants when you but you you've got to be gathering so i think the inspiration of sort of uh, go out in nature and not be afraid of what you see but to start maybe finding some some plants that you will start to recognize uh, and then you can sort of try maybe two or three different ways of using that special herb uh, and then next year you can maybe try to find another herb you don't need to take all 25 45 50 plants in one in one time but you can start to have have a small relationship with each plant and you start to look at nature in a different way is it pallets connect animals with landscapes through flavor feedback mechanisms 
Now, I have to say, when I read that, it was it was a strange experience because it really resonated with me, but intellectually, I I didn't understand what it meant. Our experience of eating is of the flavor of food, and if we like a food, it tastes good to us. If we don't like a food, it tastes bad to us. And it's powerful in guiding us. It, it it's it's nutritional wisdom manifest. Mm. But the key on this feedback part of things it has to do with with why we eat it all and where food goes. And if you think about it long enough, you realize food goes to cells and mm. organ systems, including the microbiome. That's what we're feeding. And right. the notion of feedback is that those cells and organ systems and the microbiome are feeding back through neurotransmitters, peptides, hormones. There are a whole bunch of nerves like the vagus mm. that underlie this. That's the way that they, they feed back to change our liking for food as a function of what they need, what they need for, from a nutrition standpoint, what they need from a medicinal standpoint. And so yeah. feedback is fundamental. And I met a guy who was telling me about his, I think his seven-year-old or eight-year-old or something. Anyway, this this lad who, when they went out foraging, he would be grabbing wild garlic leaves, which are really, you know, it's, that's a challenging flavor to eat one whole. You know, it's 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 a it's a strong flavor. But he was eating these wild garlic leaves just by the handful, so that he had, you know, and so enthusiastically he kind of had green juice dripping down his chin. And I had to ask the guy. I said, "Look, did your did your wife?" eat a lot of wild plants and including wild garlic when she was pregnant and, and breastfeeding. And he said, you better believe it. We, we're really into this stuff. And we very consciously, you know, we felt it would be a good idea for her to eat as much as possible whilst pregnant. And so that, that kid has now got an ability to ingest things, which, which most adults, me included, probably wouldn't pick up a handful of wild garlic and eat it. And yet it's powerously beneficial to, to your body to do that. Yeah, we would be on our bicycles, those of us who had bicycles, and we'd be balancing the one-gallon bucket full of mussels, which was enough for a family feed, on the handlebars of our bicycles. And we'd be cycling yeah. along in this very wobbly way. And, you know, it, it came to me the memory that we would say to one another, this is good for the practice. This is good for the practice. Now, we would never ask in those days what the practice was for, but there were lots of things we would do. You know, if we saw a, a drainage pipe going over a river or something like that, we'd walk across it and we'd say it's good for the practice. Now I look back with an adult eye, the practice in question was about connecting to our environment. The calling of our time is to reground in being Indigenous. Mm. We might not be native to a place, but we can become Indigenous to a place if we respect it and listen to it and its peoples in the right way. Okay, so that's that's the nature of being indigenous for you is the is the it's the relation of respect to land and 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 the people who are there. The way that I put it in one of my poems, a poem called Scotland, but it could be anywhere, is a person belongs in as much as they are willing to cherish and be cherished by this place and its peoples. I don't think it's quite as bad in Scotland, but I certainly hear in, in England that people have been approached and should you be taking that, you know? Um, why are you taking the mushrooms there for the animals? And I think it's quite fascinating because we are, of course, animals as well. 
so why shouldn't we be entitled to a share of that food too you know um at the end of the day it's all about this kind of disconnection that seems to have happened between us and the land as we were as opposed to talking about with the agriculture example too um and i'm quite interested in exploring that a bit more and thinking how can we actually reconnect people a little bit i'm quite passionate about this because for me I lived out in the countryside for years, but it wasn't really until I started foraging that I felt connected mm-hmm. to the forests, to the riversides. I felt connected to my, my own garden because I've been growing food here for years, but foraging really gave me a new sense of a meaningful connection with nature, which went beyond just walking the dogs or, or something like that, because you have to understand those habitats and the ecosystems in a bit of detail to really understand what you look you know how to find things and and so on it's more than that though isn't it you 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 um you get into a different space i think yeah i agree i was driving down the hill from where i live and i got stuck in traffic of which i am also um traffic <laughs> so, so you know there i was stuck and i looked looked over to um, the other side of the roundabout, the other side of the road, is a dentist there, and there is this huge yew tree, which is kind of sculptured, like like one side of it's completely flat to the building. It's like an extension of the building, and it's just all kind of rounded off. This great bilious, fifteen foot high sculptured yew. Right now, I've been passing this place for five years, and. Obviously, I've seen this every single time, but it was like I've never seen it before. And I was just looking at it. I was amazed. I was <laughs> just like flabbergasted. And I realized in, at that moment that probably the reason I didn't notice it, because it had no intrinsic value in terms of, for me, like some kind of use that I could re- relate to it in terms of. And... And I thought that's actually quite sad that I'm just seeing the world sometimes just in terms of utility. And, and the thing that I was chuckling about, and I really appreciated it, it's kind of jolly kind of nature, this, this kind of tree. And I guess it was like seeing but not noticing is that we take in the bigger picture and aesthetically it might be lovely, but we don't see the details. Whereas this one, I was seeing the aesthetics and the beauty, but in the very specific and I and I thought, well, sometimes I might lose that because I'm too engaged in, you know, what what I can can get from this this plant. I'm a common on bell that makes big swell and gives them nice fat bellies. In the autumn, I'm sweet and aromatic treat that you probably have not tasted, that you probably have not tasted. Um, come and 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 I'm a small flat disc, but don't take the risk if you're not sure you've found me. Cause of cousins that will kill, and that's not a thrill that you need to experience. That you need to experience. I'm coming, 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 coming. I'm coming, 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 coming. I'm coming, 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 hog Our ability to separate our brains from the rest of our bodies is a little bit um, physically emblematic of our relationship with nature as well. 
our brains connect with this electronic world that we have created, mm. this busy, busy electronic world where we spend far more time in the pursuit of it than we do getting food. I mean, foragers spend half a day working, not eight hours. In Africa, where I grew up, you know, a cure wasn't always just treat the patient, it was sometimes treat the community, right. treat the social aspects of it. You know, you have to treat the, you know, the spirit as well as the body. Francois Coupland says, we only, we only care for what we love and we only love what we know. And know as in that, that intimate sense, mm. you know? Um, the, the more intimately we know something, the more we care. I must tell you about my, one of my granddaughters. Yeah. She's five. She, this year, she made an announcement. She said that she was Nettle Girl. <laughs> And she she has she spends a lot of time fiddling with nettle fibre, and 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 the recently she's been fiddling with willow. So she's as soon as she gets a bit of willow in her hand, she starts twisting it into a shape, little bracelets and reeds and things. And as there's presents to people, whoever's there gets a willow present. But anyway, I just thought you'd like to know that there are there is hope. There's someone out there who's going to carry the flag. Yeah, maybe she's going to sort it out. Maybe she's the one that's going to work out how we can... Oh, she is, actually. She is. She's already said what she's going to be doing, yes. <laughs> but she is five. But, yeah, but she's coming. She's on her way. Young tips in spring, the top four leaves. When catkins come, say no. It's food I want, not toxins, thanks. Nettles to make me glow. Nettles to make me glow and grow. We think I'm hungry. But how can I get something to eat in a way that that supports the ecological complexity of where yeah, I am? Developing the habits. And one of it would be growing food at school. I think it's really missing. Growing food and also foraging. But like kids taught the contact with with food. You yeah. know, food production. Well, where does food come from? I'm you know, often repeating this, but it's a question I ask kids. Where does food come from? And for everybody else, in terms of other species, food comes from here, right? Whereas, whereas kids grow up now thinking food is just this thing that arrives from somewhere else, you know. And get those old people and get these kids that are a pain in the butt and, and get them together around the idea of this is our land. This is our town. These are our, her this is our heritage. These are our plants. Yeah. Let's bring it back. Put your hands in the soil. Feel the groan and feel the joy. All sit with the hurt. Stare into the dirt. Occupy the bandstands. Gather lost citizens. Climb down your pyramids. Relinquish your privilege. Welcome strangers to your table. As though they were angels. Make space for the spent, feel the lament, break your vows to the powers, plant trees and grow flowers, share the resources, free all the horses. All citizens, put your hands in the soil. And feel the growth.